for great-looking T-shirts, hoodies, and sweatshirts. The TNT Shop is now open at tntradio.live. Perception versus the truth. This is Connecting the Dots with Matt Aaron on today's News Talk TNT Radio. All right, we're back for the third segment, the third hour on Connecting the Dots. I'm very, very happy to be joined by my friend, my colleague, Petey Lawton. And Petey is somebody who uh, I've developed a lot of respect for over the years. She is a South African-born, UK-based geopolitical analyst, Africa expert, and manager of the, or editor-in-chief of the AfricaAgenda.net news platform, which is just a fantastic resource for anybody who wanted to keep up to date with the world and has specific focus on the battle uh, for Africa's future. Um, with a very, very, very solid appreciation for the dynamics of the past, which I really appreciate because that gives us a, a sense of how to navigate through the misinformation in the present that is pulling us towards different different futures. Some of those futures smell like sulfur. Other ones actually are befitting of human dignity. So, Petey, you've done a great work over the years putting this together. Thank you for being on the show. Well, Matt, well, it's, a, it's an honor to be with you. It really is. It's a pleasure. And um, wow, ho- I hope I can do justice to all of what you just said. <laughs> oh, I'm sure you so, will, and and, yeah. and you do every day. But let me just start with this: Kissinger, Kissinger uh, met, met his uh, his master this week, um, who's been who was waiting a long time to finally get to get to meet him face to face after all the works he did in the service <laughs> of the Underlord. Um, now, Kissinger is somebody who's who's left quite the stain on human civilization. He's a hyperactive guy. I mean, it's it's hard to imagine what what motivated somebody like that to be so energetic and uh, and active in their commitment to systems of unnatural empire for so long. Um, <clears throat> so I know you as somebody who has studied Africa deeply, who studied the fight against imperialism very deeply, you have some thoughts. On this, what would what what would you say today is the 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 most vicious, dangerous, important legacy that Kissinger has left for the continent of Africa that African patriots today have to deal with and problem solve through because of his having done certain things even maybe decades and decades ago? Yeah, I I think he's created phenomenal division. That mm. will be our our next task. So once. Um, people across the continent, the younger generations become more and more aware of what they perceive as the West's actions, rather than uh, isolating who actually has been uh, the puppet masters of the West. We, we are to be blamed for what has been done. So we have some very important work to be, to be doing in rectifying the the mass accusation of what Europeans, um, what whites, what Americans have done to the continent of Africa. And our important work is to explain that we have been subjected, we have been subject to the same actions. You know, you look at the First and Second World Wars, you look at what's been done to the cultures of uh, European nations, look at what happened in Ireland and Scotland. Uh, back in the 1800s, um, and you have to you have to isolate and identify who Kissinger was, who those networks are that he was only a part of, and that mm-hmm. and that that network that oligarchy 
has destroyed America as much as it has destroyed so much, uh, so many mm. other places across the world. Uh, I think that's the biggest challenge. But if you think Africa's has almost every country in the continent has something phenomenal going for it in terms of um, resources, in terms of geographical positioning, and yet there's such it's changing since the Belt and Road and the, BR, the BRI. It, things are changing, but the level of poverty for this day and age is is unexcusable. It's shameful. And people either have to say to themselves, well, that's because African leaders are corrupt and inept, or there's another story to it. And of course, we know that there's another story to it, that there has been a targeted campaign by the Kissinger networks and men like him to maintain uh, a, a state of non-industrialized economies. And of course, uh, Henry Kissinger, famous for his infamous National Security Study Memorandum 200, the mm. NSM 200, that really is the key thing about him. And that vile piece of legislation, which came in in 1975 um, under Gerald Ford, President Gerald Ford, uh, his vice president was Nelson Rockefeller, that, that policy, that American foreign policy has contributed to countless wars, to food scarcity, food insecurity. It's accountable to the fact that the um, energy consumption of sub-Saharan Africa is the equivalent to this day. The entire sub-Saharan um, countries use as much electricity as Spain. So that is, wow. that, is, that is a crime of our times, but it is a result of the Malthusian policies, the imperialist policies that uh, NSM 200 is resp responsible for. So any form of development on the continent is something that has to be fought for to this day. And we only have to look at South Africa as an example for that, that, mm. uh, you know, the power utility ESCOM has been under attack for decades. And that is because ESCOM, as the power utility, represents South Africa's industrial capacity. And attacking an industrial capacity is attacking the economy, is attacking the uh, livelihoods of all the people in the country. And... Uh, Energy is critical. It's a crucial, crucial element. And of course, NSM 200 is to keep all, keep people impoverished is the basic thing about it. Very it's evil. so hard. You know, it's so hard. And that was the biggest intellectual block for me years ago when I was trying to piece my mind or make sense of this higher reality of agendas, intentions, conspiracies shaping our, our history. It, it takes a while and everyone has their own experience of trying to piece this together. But one of the biggest blocks mentally was this overpopulation story that I couldn't refute. And I remember um, a friend of mine who was a, a political activist at the time trying to help me out. He was saying, well, look, you uh, 
you seem to know about this and that. And I, I felt like I was a very informed person. I do about 9-11, bankers, conspiracies. So, you know, I was talking f- about Freemasonic lodges, though I didn't fully understand what that was. Uh, but I felt like I knew more than I did. And then he asked me, well, why do they want? And I was like, yeah, they want to reduce the world population. And I was like, and he was like, well, how can you refute that? How can you prove that that's not true? That they that we that we're not overpopulated. And I was like, good question. I looked at pictures of of you know images from that you get from some of these from Nigeria, from Bangladesh, from Sri Lanka, and you're like, wow, I guess human beings really I couldn't I couldn't figure out why are we not overpopulated? And then it it took a while for for me to realize that there really is an idea of of destroying human creative powers and the associated technologies and energy systems that would come with a society living with political freedom and with dignity, that there's an intention to destroy that, to keep people in a state where they're in poverty and there is an overpopulation problem. But yeah. maybe could, could you say a little bit more like what what is what what was Kissinger thinking when he wrote that? Because isn't it better business? Wouldn't he make more money for him and his his masters if they allowed for increased population? That means like more producers, more money to be made. Like what isn't that a, a more and intelligent thing for for an imperialist to do why would an imperialist want to do the opposite well that would be sharing Uh, (laughs) they wouldn't uh. want to be sharing now would they and uh you know it's 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 also a question of um the more a country has stability and those pillars of security uh, food security, energy security, political security, the more sovereign that country is. And the more mm. sovereign it is, if once a country is sovereign, it is no longer a slave to imperial policy to the International Monetary Fund. So that, I would say, is is right. is what it was. I mean, why these people are so tenacious, I think that is that is the ideology. And then you, we go into very dark, murky waters, you know. Uh, yeah. Mm. Yeah, it gets dark. It gets dark <laughs> when you scratch on that one. Um, <laughs> so Kissinger is a guy who I, I don't know what, what his personal story was fully. I know he uh, he exhibited some talent uh, early on, was brought into the, the Council on Foreign Relations, became part of the Rockefeller machine. Um, who who is it who handles him or who directed him who facilitated his growth and saw his sort of skill I guess as an administrator of empire uh what what is a little bit of of that and and um maybe you could tie that back to the fight for African independence and African economic independence that was led by people like J or assisted by people like JFK Charles de Gaulle others who had a very different view of the world that was not one run by hereditary systems of of you know master classes well kissinger was you know in as much as that uh nss m 200 was a form a piece of american um policy it was nothing new it really is nothing new it comes back to to british imperial policy so Mm. the entire idea of malthusianism goes back to to Britain, to the Reverend Thomas Malthus, who came out with this hideous idea that in order to to keep a population down, uh, to have stability within a country, you you must keep them in 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 sad circumstances, so mm-hmm. that they die young 
and, and they die of disease and, and they don't reproduce any more than they would do. Uh, so that that is a very old uh, philosophy, ideology. And the NSSM 200 was only, is only a continuation of that philosophy. So we can see that men like Rockefeller, like <laughs> Kissinger, are, 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 are connected to that ideology. If they are connected to that ideology, they are part of this network, of this very same network, that, that uh, central core of, um, of the cabal. Um, yeah. the banking cabal. So um, what I was going to go on to uh, once I had explained a bit about Angola was well, that... Hold on. One yeah. second. I, I, don't, I don't mean to cut you off because I, yeah. I do want you to go into some case studies um, of Angola and other concrete examples of destructive acts of arson. Um, but would, I, I don't want to set you up where I ask you a question, then cut you off at a commercial break. But okay. so let's let's pull on this thread a little bit more. Um, and I, I love what you just noted about Maltus and the the organizing of ideas that shape political systems that a lot of people, they stop short. They try to map out the agencies that did evil and they piece together sort of a pattern, but they 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 fall short because they don't look at, well, what it why? Why is this agency motivated the way it is? Well, you have to go to the realm of ideologies, of belief structures, thoughts. And by you zeroing in on Malthus, I think that that's one of the most important things to to capture and to hold on to, because that is sort of like a religion. It's it's like a, it's it's more than a profit motive that animates these these characters. It's it's more almost like a religion. It, it is, yeah. it's an ideology. And it's um, the ideology of snobbery. It's It's a feudal mm. system, isn't it? And mm -hmm. so they are the masters over the over the feudal masses, the, the 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 dirty unwashed masses, and it's how they see themselves. But I think um, in talking about Angola and South Africa, you know, you have to mention Rhodes, Cecil John Rhodes, and study of him gives us our most the clearest picture one can look for of the ideology of these people of this network and Cecil Rhodes, he, he, he spoke about it quite freely, his imperialist visions uh, for, for the African continent. Now, he was saying that um, the British are the master race. Of course, we know that these people are not necessarily British. Uh, I, 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 for one, believe that there's something much deeper to the core. But um, so you have there this continuation of the, 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 the rulers and the masses. So you have this superiority of the people who are in charge, and then you have those who are incapable of governing themselves. So really it's, I mean, basically it's snobbery, isn't it? It's feudalism. <laughs> yeah, that, that's a nice way of putting it. That's probably the most polite way you could possibly put it. But I appreciate that. And keep in mind as well, like people listening should also hold in mind that Kissinger was groomed as a student under Rhodes Scholar William Yandall Elliott and was rec recruited as such, right? Bringing him directly onto sort of a, Yandall Elliott had the sort of Milner kindergarten of Harvard, where he always had these sociopathic young boys that he he groomed like Carolyn Trudeau and Zbigniew Brzezinski and Kissinger as just a few of his many 
misanthropic students who went on to do great and evil things. And I say great from the, the most immoral uh, usage of that word. Petey, thank you for, for planting a bunch of these very valuable seeds. We're going to take a brief break and we're going to come right back to continue pulling on some of these threads that have been introduced after our break on TNT Radio's Connecting the Dots. You should hear what Charlie Robinson is talking about. I think once we saw the supply chain issues uh, that happened during the COVID debacle, you go, well, that seems bad for the, you know, when you're fighting somebody for toilet paper, but it could be worse, right? It could be the last can of food. So people are starting to reevaluate and reassess their situations and their relationship with supply chains and the like. And I think what that does is it leads you to a place of saying, how can I make myself less dependent on the system? It's kind of hard to know where to start, right? Where would you suggest we even begin with this process? Yeah, it's funny you said that because someone said to me recently and it made me laugh that this is going to be the kind of collapse where the Burger King's still open. And I think that's what's probably lulling people into a false sense of security in that everything when we go to the city kind of appears normal unless you're in one of those really crazy drug adult cities. But for most people, I would say, Charlie, it feels normal, but it ain't normal. <laughs> the world yeah. is not normal. It's completely gone off kilter. Charlie Robinson on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. I'm Naheem Hines, professional football player and proud supporter of the Muscular Dystrophy Association. My mom was diagnosed with muscular dystrophy when I was 14, and I watched her struggle. But MDA helped her get the best treatments and care, and they also helped kids like my buddy Ethan. My name is Ethan, and I'm 12 years old. Thanks to the Muscular Dystrophy Association and people like you, I have more hope than ever before. From day one, they've treated me like family at my local care center. MDA is the only one that funds over 150 care centers across the U.S. to help provide state-of-the-art care for adults and kids like me. For over 70 years, MDA has been transforming the lives of people living with muscular dystrophy, ALS, and other related neuromuscular diseases. They fund the research for breakthrough treatments, care, and cures. And MDA provides support to thousands of families like mine and Ethan's in communities like yours. Thanks to MDA, kids and adults can live life to its fullest. Join us and learn more at MDA.org today. If you're talking about it, we're talking about it. Today's News Talk Radio, TNT. All right, welcome for the second segment of our third hour, where I'm joined by Petey Lodge, an Africa expert extraordinaire and and editor-in-chief of africaagenda.net, a wonderful resource website I encourage everyone to use. Uh, Petey, you had brought up a lot of things. Malthus, the uh, the religion of the British Empire, the elitist religion of feudalism, Cecil John Rhodes, and and that whole operation that stained our history that, that Kissinger found himself a devoted soldier of. Um, you brought up NSSM 200, the 1974 uh, report that Kissinger also wrote that redefined American foreign policy, especially towards Africa, but the entire developing sector. Um, we had been talking a little bit about, uh, before the show, certain places like Angola uh, that felt the burn of NSSM 200 ideology and Kissinger specifically. And what have you pulled up? What, what, what can you say about Angola specifically or other, Af other African nations that also felt uh, the presence of the, uh, <laughs> the malevolence of Kissinger? Well, the thing is about Angola, right? that it's one of the first cases of intentional destabilization in post using this horrible term independence. So independence is liberation is a better term. When um, African countries were allowed to, to govern their own countries, the end of the so-called end of colonialism. So 
Angola was is the best documented case, and it's the best documented case of intentional foreign destabilization because a wonderful man called John Stockwell wrote a book about it, and he is incredibly qualified to write about the destabilization of Angola because he was given the job of destabilizing Angola when he worked for the CIA uh, when Henry Kissinger was Secretary of State. Hmm. So no one is better qualified to write a book about how the CIA uh, destabilized Angola and much of the surrounding region than the person whose job it was. So mm -hmm. thanks to John Stockwell, we really know every detail of what actually took place in the mid-70s. And we can um, read it and believe it because he's uh, an incredibly courageous man. And one of, the, one of the early whistleblowers of what the CIA was actually doing, unbeknown to the uh, uh, American public, you know, it's it's only recently that we are able to share so much over social media and different platforms. So Angola is important for that reason. Now, the book itself is called In Search of Enemies, a CIA Story, and it was published in 1978. John Stockwell resigned um, in, 70, in uh, 77, wrote the book, the CIA hauled him over the coals, uh, gave him hideous time, um, but he, he remained true to his mission in exposing what uh, Americans were actually doing in, in many countries. So that is why Angola is such a great uh, case study for, for, the, for, for destabilization. Now, why I use that term, okay, so... Um, if we just go back to when people think, oh, you know, what are the imperial powers? What are they looking for when when a country's um, when war is started somewhere? Something terrible happens, and oh, they've got oil, they've got gold, they've got coltan, whatever. And yes, there is great truth to that, uh, to the to the natural resources, and that there will be. Uh, Western corporations who are after those natural resources and who will benefit. For instance, uh, South Sudan. So Sudan was went through hell, and uh, in 2010, um, the independent state of South Sudan was created. Well, one of the very first things that happened was that that Glencore was given the sole rights, um, oil rights to South mm. Sudan. So you don't have to be a genius to work that one out. But now what people don't give enough um, thinking to and credence to is um, the fact that it is not just the natural resources. What uh, they, the bankers, the thing, are wanting to do is to destabilize because as long as you are destabilizing with an ongoing long-term, low-intensity war, that country will be guaranteed um, to be a failing state, a state in trouble. Um, 
that one can understand you know if you've got a if you've got a, a, an ongoing war even if it is low intensity like you have in eastern congo like you have in many places and like um angola suffered 30 years of thanks to kissinger um then you are going to have a situation where the nation cannot uh, reach its potential it cannot develop you can't get investors to build railways, roads, brilliant schools and universities when you've got a war going on. So that point that destabilization is a very important thing. And I believe that it's a policy uh, designed by, was it Mackinder, Harold Mackinder? Halford, yeah. Yeah, sorry? Uh, uh, Yeah, Halford Mackinder. Mackinder, okay. And um, that that it was actually a British imperial policy that if you you keep your heartland heartland safe and secure if everywhere else is a sea of destabilization so you keep your own security um, if everyone else is insecure so that's also very much part of that NSSM 200 uh, Mm. the security of America in fact, uh, being dependent on um, the resources of of African countries and other places in the world, and that therefore it was more important to secure America's uh, resources. And to do that, you had to keep uh, those countries where the resources were coming from in a state of chaos. So that is really uh, a large part of, of what goes on and is still going on. So if we come back to Kissinger and Angola, so we're going to 1975 is when it all kicked off. And um, Kissinger made no bones about it. Um, He was pushing American CIA uh, covert operations in Angola. And he made no bones about it within the the, the departments and uh, John Stockwell documented in his book that Kissinger's main um, main aim was to make the MPLA, which was the majority um, party in Angola, make their task um, succeeding in the elections and, and becoming the new government of Angola as difficult as possible. And to make the Soviet Union, because of course it was the Soviet Union at the time, to make the Soviet Union's uh, support, which wasn't even that enormous, of this fledgling government Angola as costly as possible. So Kissinger just basically wanted to give the Soviets um, enormous expense in fighting a war, and he wanted to give the uh, fledgling Angolan government uh, as hard a time as as he possibly could. I mean, what a what a horrible guy, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's, it's unreal. So, and he made no bones about this, right? Okay. So he he, he basically, you know, um, wanted to destabilize. He wanted to push the Cold War, and he wanted to sell weapons for America's military industrial complex. So that's always the big key factor, keep that old war machine going. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, um, 
he he was open about it. He was open about the fact that it was he was pushing a no uh, the, the the covert operation on a no win basis. So there was no clear objective of doing anything other than making life difficult. Mm. It's quite quite that that was the directive John Stockwell was given. Make the MPLA's job at governing this this new country as difficult as possible. Mm. Um, the very, very sad thing is that I must first explain the MPLA. Right. So Angola was a Portuguese colony and um, it was under Portuguese occupation for 350 odd years. So going back to the 1500s and uh, life under Portuguese occupation was particularly nasty actually. Portugal had three colonies, Angola, Mozambique and Guinea-Bissau and they were not well known for um, their, 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 their governing of these countries. Very, very brutal, uh, forced labor, um, particularly hideous circumstances for for Angolans and, and Mozambicans. Now, in 1974, there was the Carnation Revolution in Portugal, which overthrew this fascistic government. People were putting carnations in the, the rifles of the Portuguese military. And there was a change in government. So all the Portuguese uh, military returned back to Portugal, leaving um, a power vacuum in the former colonies, Mozambique and Angola. So in Angola uh, at the time, there were three, there were three organizations, three movements vying for, um, vying for power, vying for, for government. And um, the MPLA, with the mo movement, uh, the popular movement in Portuguese, obviously Portuguese speaking, uh, movement, popular movement for the liberation of Angola, hence MPLA. These, this party represented the central region of Angola, and um, really the majority, the 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 the, the most capable, the most uh, popular uh, movement, mm -hmm. and the the natural successor to government. They would have done a superb job right from the start. Then you had two other parties. You had the FNLA and UNITA. So the FNLA and UNITA was representing people in the south and the FNLA people in, in a different region. So you had three different groupings. And um, the MPLA was selected by Kissinger because it was the most likely to win and it was going to win. Now, the very sad thing and the point I was going to make was that at no time prior to the, um, the civil war that, that emerged and lasted for 30 years, the MPLA always sought good relations with America. So that really is a particularly particularly sad thing to realize that America has been ha unleashed the civil war 
against a government that had no bones against uh, against mm -hmm. uh, against it, no bones right. at all. Right, and like, fact, like the case of Lib of Libya of, K of Gaddafi, right? Gaddafi was working so much yeah. to do everything possible to stop Al Qaeda, to do all of the stuff that he was supposed to do for the war on terror, while at the same time uh, keep his nation stable. And of course, um, he he got NATO NATO bombs in his backyard and uh, and murdered for that. Because uh, yeah, I mean, I I see what you're saying that all they wanted originally was to have positive relations with mm -hmm. a U.S. that they thought still existed, and then they became a conduit. Or, yeah, I mean, go on. Sorry, I didn't mean to, to undermine yeah. your, your flow. So, but but it, it really is, it's 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 a sad indictment of how disgusting, you know, the, these mm -hmm. people are. And the fact that during the Civil War, both, both warring parties of the MPLA and UNITA, both separately in different occasions, tried to approach each other and tried to approach America to say, for heaven's sake, please, can we just come to an agreement and have, have a truce? So that happened and that, that was overridden. So um, he, he never wanted anything other to, than to cause trouble in Angola. That was just the, the whole mission. Yeah. Now, um, so we're looking at 1975 and that civil war finally coming to a close in 2002. Wow. That's to a country that has had 350 years of occupation. Mm. So what does Kissinger do? He came along and said, I'll give him another three decades. Yeah. It's unbelievable. Cold, yeah, huh? and so cold. So, well, um, yeah. No, no, go on. Yeah. Continue uh, well, your, your thought. Well, basically, I, I just wanted to go into a little bit of, of what, what the MPLA, as that majority uh, party who did become the government, um, who their leader was, and just to give a little bit of a, a human feel for that, whole, for that whole time in history. And... The MPLA was led by an um, Angolan man called Dr. Agostino Neto. Mm. And he was, uh, he was a medical doctor. He studied medicine in Lisbon. And he was a poet. He was the most beautiful poet. And his, his uh, book of his poetry was recently translated into French, which is interesting. But very, very beautiful poetry an incredibly um, human-orientated man, very human-orientated. So he went through hell, he was beaten, imprisoned, you name it, it was done to him. But he became the first um, president of Angola. And um, he, I have, a, I have a poem of his called Realization. It's, it's very, very beautiful. Well, let's do this, actually. What, before you read... Are you gonna, if you want to read it, I, I want to hear it. Only if we I have do. time. Yeah. Oh, I think we do. But let's do this. Let's go for a commercial break so I don't cut you off halfway through a poem. And then uh, we'll return back after a brief word from our sponsors on okay. Connecting the Dots on TNT Radio. Deweaponizing weather with reality and perspective. My goomba, Mark Morano, is over in Dubai. He actually was telling me that I should go over there with him, but I have other things to do. In any case, 
Mark has said that the COP28 is shaping up to be a doubling down on the green agenda, despite the massive failure on a grand global scale. Now, I'm sure Mark is going to be talking about this quite a bit, but I would be remiss if a remiss, whichever word you want to use, if I did not bring up what Mark sent down today. And he's going to be reporting on this and make no mistake about it. This UN climate summit will continue the push for the collapse of our once plentiful energy, food supply, and transportation. What could be the possible reason to do that? I mean, you have Bill Gates, King Charles, John Kerry, the World Economic Forum. All these people are elitist. All of them are ignorant as to what is actually driving the climate. All of them are arrogant and believe that they they are smarter than everyone else and therefore they wish to control everyone else. That is what this is all about. I'm sure as Mark reports on it, everybody's going to pick up on that. This is TNT Climate and Weather Watchdog meteorologist Joe Bastardi asking you to enjoy the weather. It's the only weather you've got. In other news, a recent government report on prescription drug pricing points to corporate mouth... Freedom of the press is about your right to know. What are you talking about, man? Look at his stats. It's about your right to be informed. Your right to access all types of information keeps us free as a nation. No, 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 no. Today, there are real threats to press freedom. And your right to know about the world around us. Look. Some threats are obvious, some are easy to miss, but they all put our way of life at risk. We must defend against all of these threats, no matter what kind of news is important to you. Justified putting American troops in harm's way. That's a great question. We must protect our right to know before it's too late. Understand the threats. Protectpressfreedom.org. Matt Arrett and Connecting the Dots on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. You know, the, the one thing that I'm really struck by in uh, reviewing the battle against oligarchism throughout history is that those who tend to arise and wield the power of leadership in the nation state in opposition to the system of oligarchy is that those leaders, whether JFK or Robert F. Kennedy or uh, Thomas Sankara, Burkina Faso or Benjamin Franklin all have a, a, a very solid poetic spirit. There's a, there's a strong sense of creative artistry in their in their souls that have been nurtured such that they can see what others have difficulty seeing when they look past the surface appearance of things into the essence of things and that gives them also an ability to look at the future in a way that others miss by not believing in just the present conditions but rather rather seeing the potential that could be created and they're able to then bring people inspire them to be better than they are and move to help create and manifest those better realities that otherwise would not be apparent had they not taken the stage, even at risk of their own lives. So the fact that you're bringing up um, President Net uh, Netu, I'd never even heard of this man in my life until you just mentioned him. And now you're saying he's a poet and, um, and that makes a lot of sense. And thus an enemy of anti-creative oligarchs like Kissinger makes sense too. Um, what, what more can you say about, the, about this man, about his poetry, about his work um, and why he pissed off the oligarchy? Well, Agostino Neto, um, he, you know, the, what you were saying, like about people like well, Steve Biko, Thomas Sankara, Gamal Nasser, Kwame Nkrumah, just a profound sense 
of humanity, a love of humanity. I th- I would say that, that that is one critical thing that they all share, this agape, this love of humanity. So, mm. yeah, the, the, the quality of the leadership, and particularly in Africa in the 60s and in the early 70s, before they were killed, they were killed or destroyed one way or another, one by one, every single one of them. And they were killed for that for their beautiful souls, for their brilliant minds, for mm. those qualities. But uh, Agustino Neto, he he came up with the phrase that we still use today, um, a luta continua, which means the struggle continues. And that phrase is still used today in terms of Africa and uh, liberation from, from poverty, I would say, liberation from... Uh, the, 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 the scourge of poverty. But I would love to read, it's not a long poem, and I'll just read it to you. This is one of um, Agustino Neto's poems, and it's called Realization. Fear in the air, on each street corner, vigilant sentries light incendiary glances in each house. Hasty replacements of the old bolts of the doors. In each conscience sees the fear of listening to itself. History is to be told anew, fear in the air. It happens that I, humble man, still more humble in my black skin, come back to Africa, to myself with dry eyes. It's beautiful, isn't it? Isn't Mm. that a beautiful poem? Mm -hmm. And I have to tell you uh, that the CIA, on record, even written down, they had uh, Agustino Neto, described as a psychotic drunken poet so if you are the cia then that poem i just read to you um is written by a a psychotic drunken poet so yes never mind but um (laughs) (laughs) it's a beautiful poem an incredible sense of 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 humanity about the man Mm -hmm. um but you know matt if i could just extend that story of Angola and explain to you how Kissinger's vision, his evil vision for destabilization, how well that worked and how the South African government became his, the the next base of operations because that destabilization really took on and it, 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 it covered um, most of that region during the 70s and 80s. So if you think that um, America had to back out um, on the face of it and what happened um, eventually during this war was that um, South Africa, now in the 70s, we, we, back in 1975, South Africa is under apartheid, under the National Party, and um, apartheid was in full swing. Um, so, uh, I've lost my thread. <laughs> so, um, anyway, so America had to back off. And what, what eventually happened, they, they, uh, Sifimbi, was the leader of UNITA and he, he, he visited Reagan and the White House and he was the darling of the West. He was the darling of South Africa. So what really happened was 
they used Yanita and Joseph Savimbi to attack the MPLA when mm. America, on the face of it, and South Africa had, had to back off because of public pressure, back off militarily. So they actually um, used that party, UNITA, under Savimbi to destabilize Angola. Now, if you think about it, um, South Africa's role during apartheid was uh, it, it encompassed that Makinda policy of regional destabilization. And they did a fantastic job at that. I really must say it was so good at destabilizing so many countries. Most of the neighboring countries were destabilized by South Africa during apartheid. And just to run you, run you through them, um, you have, for instance, Mozambique. So the other Portuguese colony on the other side of the continent on, on the East Coast, um, Mozambique, again, 1975, Carnation Revolution in Portugal. Suddenly you have this power vacuum, but you have two um, candidates for government, one being based in the south, one being based in the north. People in the south were called Frelimo. The people in the north, the party and the movement in the north were called Renamo. So South Africa backed Renamo to fight Frelimo. So you have another civil war in Mozambique, um, with the Soviet Union and the Cubans. I haven't mentioned, but Cuba was huge. Cuban mm. assistance to the MPLA in Angola, huge. 36,000 Cuban troops in Angola at one time. Wow. Um, so uh, it, um, Mozambique completely split with South Africa backing Renamo. Particularly, particularly brutal, brutal civil war happened in Mozambique for a very long time, keeping these two um, entities clashing until eventually Frelimo won and you had Samora Michel, that wonderful president, who was then brought down, killed by the South African government. Oh, no. They brought down his aeroplane, I mean. So there you have Mozambique, okay? So then, um, completely South Africa running Renamo. And this isn't conspiracy. This is what we we knew as South Africans. We knew this as South Africans at that time. So you also had um, uh, this the situation in Angola um, where um, South Africa was backing with uh, everything that was going really, um, um, UNITA. In, uh, to, to, to destabilize um, Angola. And an interesting little thing there, okay, so Savimbi, I think Angola has an incredible amount of diamonds. And we all knew this, okay, um, Savimbi was paying in diamonds. Now the diamonds somehow ended up with the beers. The beers, as most of your listeners I know, I'm sure, is uh, the, the big diamond company um, now amalgamated with Anglo-American. The corporate power, the oligarchy's corporate power base in South Africa. But anyway, this operation was run by a man called Tiny Rowland. Mm. Tiny Rowland bought um, jo uh, Jonas Savimbi a Learjet. I think that was for the diamonds. He would put the diamonds in there. But um, Tiny Rowland, of course, is the man who 
created Lonro, London Rhodesia, the platinum mining company in South mm. Africa, which is headquartered um, in the city of London. Um, South Africa's um, President Ramaphosa is unfortunately on the board of Lonro. So mm. this is this is all connecting to these to these roads networks, to these corporate networks, to the siphoning of uh, of of natural resources of wealth to flow from South Africa. And um, we know that the Oppenheimers and there are other families connected to that. So not to go into that too much, um, to continue with the story of South Africa running these um, destabilization missions. Remember at the time, so in the 70s and the 80s, South Africa had um, an incredibly strong military. Uh, there was um, conscription, so all um, white South Africans had to do, uh, males had to do uh, three years in the army. Um, and if you didn't do your three years in the army, you could do six years in the post office. But um, anyway, so South Africa had a, a very formidable um, military and they were fighting both the ANC, you see the ANC were classed as a terrorist organization and the PAC, the um, Pan-African Congress. Now the Pan-African Congress was the party of Robert Sibukwe, a, a imp particularly impressive um, South, African, uh, South African visionary leader. Again, one of those people that you described earlier, Matt, so these these groups, the ANC and the and the Pan African Congress, were described by the apartheid government, and I remember this phrase because, of course, I was growing up in South Africa at the time, and people of my generation and older will remember that they were described as the communist terrorist insurgents. So all of these destabilizations, like the backing of Renamo. Um, the fighting in Zimbabwe, then Rhodesia, um, and the ANC and PAC. This is all on the pretext of fighting communism. And this mantra repeated on the television networks in South Africa on a daily basis, the communist terrorist insurgents. So you had South Africans, black, whatever color, but not white, but there's some white, mm -hmm. South Africans who were um, fighting for the right to vote in their own country mm. are being classed as communist terrorist insurgents. Um, so then you had Southwest Africa, which is now called Namibia, and um, SWAPO, South, the Southwest African um, People's Organization, fighting against South Africa administered Southwest Africa. They were the administrators, so the Namibians were fighting like hell to get to get uh, um, independence, liberate their country from apart from apartheid South Africa. You know, formerly it was a, a German colony. So you had all of this going on at that time. A tremendous amount of um, destabilizing effects, and uh, this really was a continuation of the Angolan policy under Kissinger. So um, 
not we're not talking just one country we are talking a regional program to right. keep those countries destabilized in operational mm -hmm. yeah no i think that that's important that we, it's important to train the mind to think like your enemy think like an imperialist top down because the imperialist um from the higher standpoint of what we're describing here the grand strategist the mackinderite uh never thinks in terms of a nation they want to destroy they think of a, a a global chemistry there's always the whole as the context shaping the influence of any particular area within the machinery that you you want to control so it's really important to train our minds to do that because at the same time the people who have successfully resisted um and thwarted these imperial programs throughout the ages because this is not a new thing, right? This idea of global feudalism, making everybody enslaved to a, a hereditary master class. This this goes this shapes all of human history. Every time that their agenda has uh, been subverted, it's been from a creative leadership which has qualified itself by understanding, taking the time to fully understand global systems, international dynamics, and and that context allows them to see where are the potentials for alliances for the creation of peace corridors the, the the idea of looking for points of of collaboration instead of conflict divide to conquer wise um so i know the pan-african movements uh the movement leaders have played a very important role often have been killed for that reason for emerging trying to create an, a continental development strategy kwame nkrumah and uh sankara i'm sure that uh, there's many i mean it, it's a long list often hmm. you know them because they're assassinated or overthrown by a cia coup we have three minutes left for a positive remark do you think that and i want to have you back on to continue pulling on this and, and exploring this because we've just scratched on a, on a bunch of topics that really merit a lot more digging um but in the last two three minutes um what is the 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 pathways to a creative positive future today for africa do you see that or is it all different shades of darkness no, no, it's, it's, it's extremely positive. And, you know, we talk about the BRICS and the incredible things. Right now, there was a BRICS meeting, a BRICS summit headed by Ramaphosa, South Africa, to try and bring sanctions against Israel, which is very, very interesting. You know, that this, this block is now going to become a moral body to counter this horrendous situation that's happening in Gaza. And um, we must remember that the BRICS, South Africa is only in the BRICS because of Jacob Zuma. It was Jacob Zuma and his then wife, and Kosazani Dlamini Zuma, who got South Africa that enviable position in this new alliance. So very, very important. So I believe the BRICS is a, a very, very positive route to this, well, we are now living in it. This is the multipolar world as the empire crumbles. This really is the multipolar world. So I believe that to be very positive. Um, China's Belt and Road Initiative, very, very positive. But, you know, also African countries, I'm thinking now Burkina Faso under this, the, the, this, yeah, the new leadership after the right. coup, <clears throat> Ibrahim Traore, and what he's doing. I mean, they've already signed a deal with Russia for nuclear power. Um, right. They're now starting to refine their own gold. Right. You know, th these things are happening so quickly and they're so positive and it's going to be great.
Thank you. Yes, I, I, I'm really happy that we're ending on a on a positive note that there is a light at the end of the tunnel, but that has to be fought for. Things can still be turned, lit on fire, as has been off, often the case. If we're not wise and we don't, and we, uh, we if we allow ourselves to misstep, then uh, then things can go sour. But thank you very much, PD, for bringing this context onto the stage right now as we navigate ourselves throughout a lot of stormy waters. And I'm looking forward to having you back on. So thank you. AfricaAgenda.net is the place to be. Check out PD Lawton's work. 